0: Amen. Thank you so much, Hannah, Beth. Um, I'm really excited. Good evening, everyone. My name is Sean. I'm one of the associate pastors here. I'm very excited about this series of sermons that you'll be able to um, um, negotiate or deal with over the course of this month. Um, Happy New Year, by the way, if I haven't been able to tell you that before. Happy New Year. Um, Masterclass on prayer or Masterclass prayer. Um, The idea is that we are looking at the masters because I want to make this very clear. I am not a master. We are looking at the masters who are going to be able to help inform how we pray so that we pray more effectively. You know, in James chapter four, verse three, there is a warning that we don't receive from God because we pray amiss. Really, because it's really about our own personal passions and so hopefully over the course of the next four Wednesdays, as we look at some of the heroes of the faith, the ultimate hero we'll be looking at today, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, um, we'll be looking at prayers that the Holy Spirit determined that he would have um, written out within Scripture so that we can study and we can glean certain pro- um, principles. There are certain burdens maybe that that are being prayed into that we need to incorporate into our own prayer lifestyle. So I'm very excited about this, um, this, this series of sermons being um, over the prayer team. I, you know, I'm, I'm heavily vested in prayer. Um, and so I'm always excited when we take time to kind of like Vince Lombardi, who was a, a, a Hall of Fame coach for the Green Bay Packers and a couple other teams. He always would start off his training camps with the basics like this is a football and prayer, sometimes we just look at as a basic, but we always need to revisit it and get resharpened because everything that we do as a community of believers, please hear me, family, as a community of believers, if we're going to accomplish what God has for us, that's going to help us to, 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 to be welcomed into his arms by this, well done, my good and faithful servant. If we want to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, it has to be undergirded with prayer. It's not our skill sets, it's not our talent, it's not our charisma, it's not how handsome or not handsome you are or beautiful or not beautiful you are. It is going to be us walking in step with God in, in this intimacy that prayer offers to us, this conduit to the intimacy that's been made available to us through the cross. And so it is very important. So there's three things that want to make sure that we are going to have kind of tied through all of our sermons that we want to put out up front. There are three things that that are important um, for us to remember when we think about prayer. Number one, we pray God's will by praying God's word. We pray God's will by praying God's word, as we and we'll get into this as we get into the scripture um, for this evening. When you are renewed, when your mind has been renewed by the word of God, it helps your perspective. When we see it in the word, when we understand it, then we are praying according to his will when that is what is undergirding what we're praying or why we're praying. And so we number one, we pray God's will by praying God's word. Secondly, we pray with others, you know, culturally for us. Our faith is our own individual thing. That is kind of the air we breathe in America. And so the tendency is I'll just pray by myself. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that we pray with others at the dinner table. Yeah, we do that. But what we're saying here is that we come together congregationally. It, it's not an everyday thing, but there are distinct moments where we need to get together and pray. And if you're interested in that on a more regular basis, every Friday night we actually do pray together. And I would love to give you that information. Um, we, we'll be able to post that up for you. You can see it online on our calendar as well but but the the need to pray together because we are a community and there is something there is something in the way that God manifests himself in the, in the midst of two or three that's going to be different than when you are alone so we want to remember this principle that we pray with others and then finally we pray with perseverance we don't stop Because we didn't get the answer in the moment. It is a a process. It is a relationship. It is a conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. And and prayer gives us an opportunity to talk to God. But we also need to give him opportunity to speak to us. And it's not always in the moment. There There are times where God may speak to you through something else, through someone else. There are ways that he can communicate he has millions of ways of communicating, and he is the greatest communicator of all. So he certainly will respond to you, but you have to be persevering, persevering in this prayer. It was even taught by Jesus when he uses the widow woman going before the judge to continually go back, 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 back. And, and the answer, what she was looking for, was ultimately given because of her um, her willingness to be persistent in prayer. Now that I've burned through a lot of my time, um, I need to um, lead us into the scripture that we'll be looking at this evening. And I'm just joking about burning through the time. It is, this is just so exciting to me. I'm so grateful um, that we're spending some time on prayer. This evening, we'll be looking at John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. A lot of Bibles have that as the title. Um, this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus himself that we have in scripture. Um, so, Understanding that the Holy Spirit was very intentional in how the Bible was written and, and what he had the various authors to um, to, to lay down um, for us to be able to read. Um, I think it's very important that we, we take time to study this prayer. And I, I want to say from the, the forefront, um, this prayer is rich with so much in it that there is no way that we can cover this in 25 to 30 minutes. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I want you to remind you that the purpose that we are um, attempting to do this evening, excuse me, is to look at this passage and what can we take out of it that we may apply to our own prayer, to our own way of communicating with God. What are the things that, 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 that Jesus himself is teaching us by allowing us ultimate privilege of us to be able to step behind the curtain and see the triune God in communication that the God the son is talking directly to the father and and you get this sense that this conversation has been ongoing we are so privileged to have this special revelation so I say all of that to get to this study this passage We're going to talk about what we can take out of it in terms of how it impacts our prayer. But there's so much here that you need to study it and get deeper understanding of who we are as the children of God, what Jesus was willing to do, what he had to do so that we could even take on um, this relationship that's been made available to us. So study this passage. This is truly, uh, truly, truly uh, a a A step into the holy of holies as we listen to this prayer that Jesus offers up to his heavenly father. So we'll be looking at John 17 um, and pulling out those points that are there. Um, I will read the passage. I'm going to read it in its entirety and then we'll pray. When Jesus has spoken these words, John 17, verse one, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, Father God, I pray that you will help us study this passage. Use me as a tool to communicate your message. In the name of Jesus, amen. The high priestly prayer. There's a couple of ways that we can break this passage down, or three different sections of, of looking at this prayer and and how we're going to approach it so that we can glean some things for our own prayer life. Number one, verses 1 through 5 is Jesus praying for himself. As I mentioned earlier, James 4 kind of gives us a warning about praying for ourselves in terms of why we're not receiving because we're really only praying about our passion. So what is it that we can learn for how Jesus prayed for himself? That's going to be verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for the disciples, those that are there with him. Certainly there are points that can be taken out for us as well, but he's in particular praying for them in the moment. And then finally in verses 20 through 26, he is praying for the greater church, for the saints that will come. People like myself, people like you. He is praying for us um, and and, and he has some burdens or or, or a focus of his prayer when it comes to us um, that we want to look at. So let's start at at verse 1. And right off the bat, one of the things that I think is really important for us to, 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 to take in, in verse 1 he says, when Jesus has spoken these words, he had lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Did Did, did you notice that? That there was a physical position that Jesus had. That wasn't on his face, as some places in scripture tell us to to lay out prostrate before the Lord. We have the practice of lowering our heads and bowing our heads and closing our eyes. But but Jesus is standing looking to heaven with his his eyes open. Or he has this physical um position that's laid out there. I only highlight that because for some of us. We have learned traditionally that this is how you have to pray. You have to bow your head. You have to close your eyes. Th- those types of restrictions aren't there in prayer. And I think Jesus is kind of demonstrating that, though it's cultural for him, um, for the Jews during that time frame, to to look to heaven and and to pray in that fashion. But he doesn't have to get down on his face. Later on, we will see in the Garden of Gethsemane that he actually does get down on his knees and pray. And then there's there's a way that 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 he's submitting himself to the Father. The point really being that it's really about the disposition of your heart and how you are talking to God, that he hears. The position itself, the the eyes being closed, the the head being bowed, that in and of itself does not make your prayer one that God will listen to. It is the disposition of your heart to actually talk to him, having faith that he will hear you and, and, and enter into this conversation with you. Secondly, Jesus praying for himself. Some of us have a hard time praying for ourselves. We feel like we're doing something wrong um, because we, we look at the, what, what James 4 says. or We just feel selfish at times. But Jesus here praying for himself gives us the, the, the permission to pray for ourselves. Now, I want you to take note that verses 1 through 5 are about Jesus. But the passage is 1 through 26. So there are 21 other verses where he's actually interceding for someone else. So our prayer should not be consumed with the subject of self. It should just be a fraction of what we are doing when we are communicating with the Father. But nevertheless, for some of us, we have a hard time praying for ourselves. And Jesus actually did pray for himself. What made Jesus' prayer one that was acceptable and not one that's being prayed amiss? Well, let's follow along in these verses. Um, Starting in in verse 1. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. At first glance, we may think that Jesus is saying, You know what, I just want to get back to my heavenly state. Give me the glory that I had before. But really what Jesus is praying is undergirded by the desire to bring glory to the Father. And so he talks about the glory, your son, that the son may glorify you. It was really about the mission. Jesus was very mission oriented in this prayer. And that's another thing that, that thing that we can glean for ourselves that the mission should become very important to us. What is the mission? That the kingdom of God is being extended. That the glory of God is being expanded throughout the earth. That his name is being made known. And the glory that we as individual Christians or collectively as a community, the glory that we give to Jesus by us carrying out this great commission work brings ultimately glory back to the father. And Jesus gives the rationale behind this idea that you give me glory in verse two when he says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. See, what Jesus is, is really communicating to the Father is that as I'm just moments, just hours away from going to the cross, as I'm going to complete the work that you have laid out for me to do, it is interwoven, it's tied to this idea of the authority that you've given me to give eternal life to those that you have given to me. Eternal life, which he will explain further in, 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 in verse 3, Um, Is the actually knowing God, the true God, but in knowing the true God, the Father, you also have to know God, the Son, Jesus, whom He has sent. It's this relationship that cannot. Truly be genuine because of the sin that's in our lives unless Jesus completes the work at the cross. And so Jesus is praying that the, the glory that he's he's asking for will be, be shown through the work at the cross. That his work will be acceptable unto the Father. And if it's acceptable to the Father and if he's glorified, then the glory actually goes to the Father as well. Because now there will be others who can come and get to know him through knowing Jesus. And as I'm, just a quick side note, because the Trinity, we serve one God, and I'm going to be talking about Jesus and the Father, and and it can give you the impression that there's two, three different gods if I bring in the Holy Spirit, but the reality there is three in one. Now, I am, my brain is too small to be able to fully comprehend the concept, so Please forgive me for not being able to fully explain it. But I do need you to understand that there is a a oneness. But at the same time, there are distinctions between the father and the son. And there's positional distinctions there. And so the son has submitted to the father. And so that's why a lot of the language that Jesus is using is because of the position that he's sat in as the son unto the father and submitting to the will of the father. And so what's undergirding. The, the the prayer for himself, the prayer for glory, the desire to, to receive that glory is undergirded this idea that he is really after the father's glory. Finally, in thinking about this idea of praying for yourself, what are ways that God has um, positioned you to bring glory to himself? The, the thing is, we, we will have a hard time ever really discovering that. I mean, you know, when I was younger, I would kind of attach certain things. I was younger in my walk with God, I would attach his glory to it. So like my desire to have a, a BMW 7 Series car, I said, God, you know, I can glorify you by having this car. See, like I attach that on to my prayer to try to make it holy but what we what we engaged in here, or what we see here is that we, we've been able to kind of come into to a conversation that must have been ongoing with Jesus and the Father. Because the Father has laid out the plan. Jesus has been able to acknowledge that the work that you've given to me, I've been able to do. I've, I've done those things that you, you've asked me to do. I'm coming to the, to the hour. That, in fact, the hour is now where I'll be heading off into the passion, into to the work of the cross. He, he, he acknowledges that there. And so what that kind of gives us I, uh, insight into is that we need to have an ongoing conversation with God. We need to be talking to God, not just, God, can you open the door so I can get the job? But God, why do you have me here? What are the things that you want me to do? I mean, God, today, this is what happened at the job. There's an ongoing focus of the mission and the, the mission that God or the reasons behind why God has you, where he has placed you are very important. And we need to look into those things through our prayer, through our conversation with him. One, one, one theologian said that prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. And this prayer that Jesus has for himself and, and really through the, the entirety of the prayer is really about what Jesus has been doing with the father up until this point and what he's going to continue to do in making God's name known to others. The portion of the prayer in in, in here is birthed out. I've already talked about the the birth out of the ongoing conversation that the son has been having with the father. Um, Section verses six through 19, Jesus begins to intercede on behalf of the disciples that are there. And there's there's a couple of things that Jesus really wanted to, to highlight on their behalf. He he says in, in, in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. There's this desire to see unity within the group, but it's only going to be fostered with God will keep them in his name, that he will do a work for them. And, and uh, there's, there's really kind of two components to this that I think are really important for us as we think about how we should pray ourselves is that we can pray for those who are intimately close to us our families. Uh, um, as a pastor, I pray for, I pray for the congregation, uh, um, maybe those who work with you in your sphere of influence, those that are closest to you, but you recognize that you are limited in what you are able to do while you are with them and how you can protect them or, or how you can keep them. And so Jesus, knowing that he's going to the cross, knowing that things are going to kind of change because while he was in body, he was able to keep those disciples while he was there and on watch with them. But there was coming a transition where he would ascend back to the father and so he's asking the father to keep them he's 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 relying upon the the power of God and and we too should rely upon the power of God instead of helicopter parenting our children um, not to say that we don't lay down certain principles and that we are aware of what's going on but our real trust is in God and his ability to keep them and the fact that we've Push the burden over to him on behalf of those closest to us. So Jesus, he takes special interest in in, in praying for them. Later on, he will go on to say um, to, to keep them from the evil one. In verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This particular prayer is really a capstone to the farewell discourse that it started in John 13 and has run its way to hear John 17 coming to an end. John 13 is where Judas um, is is kind of really outed by by Jesus that he's going to betray him. And so he um, tells Judas to go ahead and do what you're going to do. And Judas goes out and verses, or chapters 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is letting his disciples know that, hey, you know, I'm going to be dying soon. I'm going off to the cross, but this is what it's going to mean for you. The paraclete or the Holy Spirit is going to be sent on your behalf. There, there's going to be um, some, some great benefits um, but chapter sixteen he he talks about the 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 reality that the world hates them and that they will be persecuted. In fact, some would even die so here jesus can 't mean to protect them from the evil one meaning nothing bad will happen to them he's he's prayer his prayer of protection is that First and foremost, he's acknowledging that there is an enemy of their soul too often in our prayers we don't acknowledge that we don't acknowledge that there is something else behind some of the things that we're seeing so we we need to remember to to acknowledge that there is an enemy as we 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 pray for our loved ones as we intercede on behalf of those who are closest to us um but it, but he he he's praying that the persecution the hate that will come from the world will not cause them to fall away and and and, you know, I've, I had an experience this summer where I was attacked, and I, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that I didn't fall away. That this prayer that Jesus has interceded on, on behalf of believers um, like myself, that, that I didn't fall away because there are, peop, there are many people whose testimony is that they couldn't trust God anymore because of something bad taking place. So I don't credit that to myself. I credit that to the protection of the father. We need to intercede on behalf of those who are closest to us uh, against the attacks of the enemy. These are two focuses that Jesus had when he was thinking about those that were closest to him. And kind of finally, Jesus prays for future saints in verses 20 through 26. And the theme had already been kicked off in, in the, the second portion of the prayer, uh, verses 16 through nine, six through 19, um, this, this idea of unity. Jesus desiring um, for us to, to love one another in such a way, uh, uh, to have such a unity that it will look like the Father and the Son. I don't believe that. That what Jesus is praying here um, is that we would all look uniform. That every church would ex- look exactly the same. Because Jesus, who is the author of life, um, knows how he has created us culturally. There are going to be differences. There, there, th- there, there are going to be different emphases in, in different portions of the world and things of that nature. But there's got to be a desire and a fight to, for the unity That has been made available to us. And so Jesus doesn't just strictly command us to to have unity. Scripture and other places say that we need to fight for unity. But he prays for unity. Because there is a supernatural element that is necessary for us to walk in the unity that Jesus is talking about. And so we need to make that a prayer point of our own. Especially in this country where division is running along so many different lines. But we need to be able to grab hold of what is a unifying marker more than the things that divide us. And to be able to truly do that is to hold that in prayer before the Lord. These are just a few elements of this particular passage that we can be able to think through and how we're gonna pray better. We we understand that position. While is, is we don't want to just have any old kind of physical position, it's more about our heart and our disposition towards God. Um, we, we also understand that we can pray for ourselves, but it's not just for our own personal passion, but it's for the glory of God, thinking mission, having mission in mind. We also want to be able to pray for those who are closest to us when it comes to um, looking at John uh, 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 17, uh, John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19, um, that intercession, the protection for those against the evil one or from the evil one, um, and then finally, we want to be able to pray. We want to have a prayer burden for the unity of the body of Christ. So think about it, kind of just like bringing this to an end. there was one thing that I didn't mention that I must mention before we go. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is a really a tremendous statement because when I think about The God that we serve and how awesome he is and how he is able to hear prayers from those in Brazil and and Russia and, and here in America. At the same time, millions of voices, and he's able to not just hear them, but he's able to fully engage with each person that this is the God who is making this statement. I wonder, did my picture flash before his face when he prayed for those future saints? Did he see me? Did he see you? Because our God is big enough for it and time is not a thing to him that would stop him from being able to do it. There's an awesomeness about the God who we serve and the invitation to come and be personal with him. It's just mind-blowing.